You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Excellent. There we go. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, in case you notice, my voice is a little raspy. I'm going for the, you know, the good Cajun kind of a thing. Matt does it better than me. Uh, but I had a, an allergy thing this week. I finally went to the doctor uh, on Friday morning, got a Celestone shot. Those things are magical. Uh, walked in. I said, you know, I've had a really bad cold all week. And the doctor looked at me and said, you don't have a cold. You have allergies and they're bad. Uh, so Easter lilies and I do not get along. <clears throat> So, uh, forgive me, I'll, I'll try not to have a coughing fit uh, in the middle of my sermon, but if I do, I, I have water and, and we'll be okay. Uh, our scripture lesson for this morning is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. Let's hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us, not, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. And we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was not too long a time ago when this time of year brought great anxiety for me. See, I was a youth director for eight years, and this is the time of year when you start putting together those final plans and preparations for all of your summer trips. You see, back in the fall, when you plan the following summer, all of these ideas sound great on a piece of paper and how much fun we're going to have, and it's about April, May or so that those things get real, because now you've got to make sure you have chaperones You've got to make sure all the money has been turned in. You've got to make sure the parents filled out of the, all the forms they're supposed to fill out because they're always so good about doing that on time. <laughs> I remember one of my first trips that I took as a youth director. I was taking my youth group down to Dulac, Louisiana, way down south, to do some flood relief work after one of those storms that came through and they had some serious flooding down there, a lot of homes that were damaged. And so I'm doing all my preparation. I'm planning this trip in great detail about where we're going to eat and all this food and stuff and making sure everything's taken care of. And we get on the bus. I've loaded the bus properly and we're safe and we're ready to go. And one of my youth leaders, who wasn't actually going on the trip, but he was there to help us, stuck his head in the door and he said, now, remember, you have precious cargo on board. 
Well, thanks for that. As if I didn't have enough pressure already on my shoulders. A couple of years later, we took a trip to Dallas to do some work there. And I remember we made it all the way there. And as soon as we hit, I think it was I-35 in downtown Dallas, the passenger side mirror flew off the bus. So despite all of the checks and things that I had done trying to be, you know, a responsible driver for the church, somehow it had worked its way loose. And it decided in the middle of downtown traffic at 65, 70 miles an hour to launch itself off the bus. Now, how it didn't hit the car behind us, which was also two of my adult chaperones, I don't know. But now here we are in the middle of downtown Dallas driving this 27-passenger bus loaded up with my precious cargo, and I have no way in the world of knowing what is on the right-hand side of the bus. So I came up with an ingenious plan. I got the three oldest, more responsible members of my youth group, and I said, you go on this side of the bus, and I'm going to ask you a very simple question when the time comes. Can I turn? And if your answer is yes, you'll say yes. If it's no, you'll say no. If there's any hesitation or indecision, I'm going nowhere. And we'll just keep driving around Dallas, Texas for however long it takes until we just run out of gas, and then maybe somebody will come help us. So we tested it a couple of times, and they caught on. You know, I was serious about this. I really didn't want to get in a wreck in downtown Dallas. Well, we made it to where we were going, and we had a good trip, and all was well. But life can be a little bit like that sometimes, can it? Yesterday we gathered to celebrate the life of Gailey Honecker, a longtime member of this church. And in spending time with the family over the last week or two especially, I heard a lot of great stories about who Gailey was in his life. In fact, this sanctuary where we are sitting today, Gailey was an integral part of designing and implementing this very place that we worship today. But those last few years and those last few months, especially for Gailey, brought great anxiety for him, for their family, as they tried to figure out what the best thing to do was. And the peace that we have now is we know that Gailey is resting in the very heart of God. Gailey has finished his race. Gailey is in that place that we can still, at this point, on our journey, only imagine. And oh, what a day, what a marvelous day. That must be. But we're not there yet. We're still on the journey. And the one thing that is for sure about this journey that we are all on is that there will be ups and downs, there'll be twists and turns, there'll be good times and not so good times. There'll be the occasional curveball. In John's letter that we read from this morning, he's writing to a church that is experiencing some trouble. <laughs> it's not a new thing, friends. Some people have left the church over their understanding of who Jesus is. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but yet they still say that they are followers of Christ. And so John writes to this church, this community that is still gathering, and he encourages those who remain to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to quote Jesus. Not for their own sake, but for his sake. Those who love like this delight in worshiping and praying together with a love that is marked with self-sacrifice. A love that is not marked with well-intentioned words. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we can say all kinds of things, we can even do all kinds of things, and they're all honorable, but without love, 
They are nothing. Love cannot be just words. It must be action. We know love by this, says John, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And this very idea of self-sacrifice, and I didn't realize this until I studied this this past week, he's actually using the same Greek word that is found in the Gospel of John when it describes Jesus removing his outer garment and washing the disciples' feet. This is love. To love means to remove anything that might hinder us or be in our way from serving another person. Because that's what Christ did. And the essence of this love is sacrifice. It's a love that demands more than just words. It's a love that calls us to action. It compels us to do something. To believe, yes, but then to go. To go and love like Christ. Paul probably describes it best in his letter to the Philippians. It's known as the Christ hymn or the kenosis of Christ. Hear these words. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the very form of God, did not, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But that's not where we leave Jesus. Therefore, Paul says, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. Father. The reason Christ asks Peter three times, do you love me? Remember that story. It's because Jesus has unfinished business with Peter. Remember Peter who boasted that all others will fall away but not me. I'll never deny you. But even in this moment, even in preparing to meet the risen Christ, Peter still thinks that he's quite something. And Jesus reminds him what he's missing. Peter, you're almost there, but you're still just a little too full of yourself. Do you love me? You do? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You do? Then feed my lambs. Each time Jesus asks Peter the question, he says, yes, you know that I do. Jesus says, then go. Then go. And do the work that I have put before you. Oh, and by the way, Peter, you will lay down your life the way that I did. And church tradition tells us that Peter did indeed do that and was crucified under Emperor Nero, more than likely. Three times Christ gives Peter a chance to affirm his love, which brings him a task, a mission, and a cross. 
which might remind us of Jesus' words to his disciples. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Then follow me. Many of you know my journey, or at least part of it. I didn't grow up in church like our confirmands this morning. When I moved to the United States, I was completely baffled by the idea that so many people got up on Sunday morning and went to church. And by baffled, I mean people that told me that they were Christians, people that told me they went to church and that I should go too, talked, acted, behaved, just like I did. In fact, I socialized with many of them, and there was nothing godly about any of it. Why would I give up sleeping on Sunday morning to do what I'm already doing? I'll pass. Thank you. But God had other plans. (laughs) He always does, doesn't he? I had taken piano lessons from the time that I was five until I was about 16 when my parents finally let me quit. They thought I was going to be a concert pianist, and I decided I wanted to have a life. (laughs) When you get home from school at four o'clock or so, and you have to practice piano for two hours before you can go do anything else, and then by the time you've eaten and done homework, it's seven or eight o'clock at night, and your friends have not only already gone and done whatever they're doing, but they're on their way home from it. That gets old after a while. And so I was burned out on anything to do with playing the piano until I was about 25. And there was a church down on Airline Drive that was looking for a pianist on Sunday morning to play their hymns, and they were offering the grand price of $60 a week. Well, by golly, that's easy money. I didn't have to practice. I could walk in at 9 o'clock, play the hymns, go home a couple hours early, later, and, and pick up my check. Awesome. So I did that for about a year. And then some folks at Mangum United Methodist Church heard that I could play, and so they invited me to go over there and offered me stupid money to do so. Not going to say no, even though it was a long drive from my house. I was there for a couple of years. And then St. Luke's over on Uri Drive called and said, we're looking for a pianist, are you interested? And I was like, well, it's closer to home. Are you going to pay me stupid money too? They did. I'm telling you, if you take piano lessons around here, you can make money. Anyway. But that's what got me into the church. God knows what he's doing. And so in 2003, I ended up at St. Luke's. Two years later, I became their choir director. In 2008, I became their youth director. And the rest is history. I knew the church was not a perfect place. (laughs) It's not. Because it's made up of people like us. But rather than sit on the outside being critical, I chose to step into it. And I chose to step into it because I had experienced Christ's love in my life. And I felt compelled to be with fellow followers of Christ and remind all of us every chance that I got that every Sunday that we gather in here and we worship and we sing and we do all these things, there are thousands of people out there who want nothing to do with the church. And that's on us. We can do better. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. But if you keep up with the church calendar, Easter is actually a season of 50 days, not one. (laughs) It's not Easter Sunday and then we're done. Any more than it's Confirmation Sunday and then we're done, right? This is where the journey begins. We're reminded of the risen Christ that we follow and then we set up on this journey to follow him. And so for the next few weeks, I'm encouraging all of us 
to consider what it means to love. Not with words, not with good intentions, but with our actions. To go. For example, in a few weeks' time, our children are going to be decorating lunch sacks that we will take and deliver to our downtown friends group that meet every Saturday morning and hand out food and clothing to the homeless. Just a simple gesture to know that our children in our church care and think and love them. For them to receive this gift from our children, to know that God loves them, to know that we love them, to know that we have not forgotten that they're there. I met with our prayer team several times, and the one idea that they came up with was, what about if we go out in the community to different places, and we just invite people to come to us, and we pray for them? Duh. (laughs) Why not? And so for the next few weeks, that's what they're going to do. They're going to team up, and they're going to find places to go, and they're going to just say, how can we pray for you? Even if all that means is they write down their name on a piece of paper and we just put them on a list and we intentionally pray for them. What would that look like? How can each one of us respond to what God has done in our lives and say, you know what? I know what God has done for me. I know what Christ did for me. Now I need to go. I need to go. And share that love with other people. I remember back in 2002, laying on the couch in my living room a few days before Christmas during a dark time in my life, asking this God that I had heard of to show me that he was real. Here I am. If there's anything to this God thing, now would be a good time. And boy, did he show up. It was the first moment in my life that I heard about this song, this amazing grace song, this amazing grace, this love of God that could save even a wretch like me. God knows no bounds. I remember during my youth director days, going to Weekend of the Cross year after year, out in the hot sun, working on houses with teenagers. Some of you know what that's like. You've been to Arizona, you've worked on different projects. It has its good times and it has its troubling times. But at the end of every weekend of the cross, the one thing that they do, and I hope they still do it, is they wash one another's feet. And after a difficult weekend and you're hot and you're tired and you just want to go home and take a nap, to watch these kids serve one another, to wash one another's feet, as an act of service and respect for one another. I remember being on staff over at St. Luke's five years ago now when our pastor died. And I remember being in the middle of that, in the middle of a congregation that I loved dearly and have been with for several years, and now what in the world do we do? And we grieve together, and we loved together. There were people that had been inactive in that church. They came to church. They checked off their box. They went home. There were people that walked into my office during those weeks and those months when we're navigating what this might look like, and they said, you know what? I know I don't help much around here, but is there something I can do? It was amazing. 
new ministries popped up. People came into my office and they said, we've been thinking about this new ministry. Can I do that? Well, yes, please. The church grew. People started showing up on Sunday going, I want to join your church. I was like, what are you talking about? This is chaos. No. It was love. We'll see this morning in just a minute when 15, 15 of our sixth graders will walk across this stage and will profess their faith in Christ. That maybe this is the morning that they experience the love of Christ for the first time in their lives, and you are a part of that. They're joining our family. And what a marvelous day this is for them and for us. So the question we all have to answer today is the same question that Jesus posed 2,000 years ago, and it's a simple question, or it should be. Do you love me? (laughs) Do you love me? Do you you love me? Because if you do, quit yapping about it. Go do it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, for all that you have done in each of our lives, for your grace that pours out, for your love that surrounds us, for your love that beckons us to this cross, we give you thanks. For those that will come forward here this morning and put their faith and trust in you, we are thankful for the journey that they have been on, for the work that you've done in each of their lives that brings them to where they are today. And we invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to watch over them and watch over us as we journey together. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this time, let me...